Man, I got to tell you, I am so pumped to be back at Be Hope. It's been two weeks, and man, I have missed you guys immensely. Okay, we got one person who missed me. Thank you. I'll get you a free shirt after this, all right? I missed you guys. Man, it was fun to watch online and see the 25 baptisms. And Pastor Sheila did an amazing job last weekend here at a Beaver Creek campus. So good. So good. Uh, here's where I want to take you today. Here's where I want to take you today. Is that the gravity of God's work, the gravity of God's work grows others. The gravity of God's work in your life should grow other people. I'm going to say it this way. If you know what God has done in your life, then you may know what you should do with your faith. That sounds simple, doesn't it? If you know, you know. But here's the reality for most of us is we struggle with what we do next. We're a little unsure. We know what God's done in our life, but we aren't always sure what we're supposed to do to do next. And I think one of the big misconceptions that we have comes from, it's brought to you by a church guy I knew a long time ago, and this is what he said about his faith. He said, my faith life is my faith life, and my work life is my work life. And he said, my faith life is never meant to be part of my work life because my relationship with God is personal. It's private. Now, I'm going to sound really judgmental in this moment because I was. But I was like, that's a really cringy statement. Because what I hear you say in this moment is that Jesus died on the cross just for you. No one else. Like it's personal, it's private. Out of all the billions of people who've existed on this earth, apparently God just thought you were the only one that he should save. Does that really mean to say? See, I don't, I don't think our faith was never meant to just be personal and private, but I believe that we were meant to proclaim the good news of what God has done in our lives in every corner of the world and every human being that we come into contact with, church. I truly believe that. Because when the gravity of God's work begins to move in your life, I believe that others' lives begin to be changed. It grows others. So, so I think this is important. Let's talk about gravity for just a second. Because we hear that word gravity, and for most of us, it's got a negative connotation to it, Right? In sports, we talk about gravity. If you're a golfer, I don't know if that's really a sport, but maybe it is. <laughs> I got to offend at least one person or all of you. <laughs> but think about it. When you hit a ball, you, you need the ball to fly forever. You don't want gravity to pull it down yet. That's what gravity does. Uh, when you're flying in a plane. <laughs> I know I'm not a pilot, nor should I be, but I'm always wondered about at what point is this going to come down thanks to gravity. Uh, for some of you, I hear this as, as you age. Uh, you say things like, gravity is not working in my favor. Okay, can I just tell you, uh, the thing that you think isn't working in your favor is actually the thing you need to grow your life as you continue to age. Can, can I say it this way? That, that uh, scientifically speaking, gravity is a good thing because gravity grows things. Your muscle mass... And your bone density would be absolutely zilch if you did not have gravity. Think about it this way. We got any gym rats in here? Like, have you ever wanted to do a 200-pound curl? I have. So, so think about it this way. If you were in space and you got this massive dumbbell that was 200 pounds, which would look so cool, and you started curling this 200-pound dumbbell in space, guess what your biceps would look like when you're done? The same. Nothing, they wouldn't grow. Why? Because you don't have gravity. You don't have resistance. You need resistance 
for cellular regeneration in your muscles. And in the same way in your life, when the gravity of God's work begins to move and he's doing something within you, there should be resistance in such a way that it grows other people in their life and in their faith. And for most of us, we get excited about what God has done in our lives, but we get confused because we don't know what to do next. And so I love what Peter says. He says to the Christians in Rome, uh, and by the way, if you're new to church and you're new to faith, we'd love to get a Bible in your hands today. But I love Peter because Peter was a guy who witnessed the life of Jesus firsthand. He was a guy who saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. He watched his ministry for three years. He ate fish with Jesus on the beach after he came back to life. Like when I'm a doubter in my faith, I always think, wow, there are people who wrote this wonderful thing called the Bible, who witnessed it with their own eyes. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. And so Peter is writing to a group of people who are in Rome and they're excited about what Jesus has done and how he's changing their life. But they're like, Peter, what do we do now? What do we do next? And so Peter says to me, he said, you need to always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask. Not only do you need to prepare to give an answer, but he says, you need to give the reason for your hope. And what I realized in this moment was that Peter is saying to the Christians in this day, your faith is not private. Your faith is not personal. Your faith life is not separate from your work life or your home life. Your faith life is a way of life. Because Jesus said to his disciples and to you and me, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But here's the amazing thing. When you begin to experience the freedom of God in your life and you want to share it with other people, and there's a movement that begins to happen, not everybody celebrates it. And in the first century in Rome, uh, there was another guy who thought he was God, and his name was Nero. And Nero didn't like the fact that these Christians were going around talking about everything that God was doing in their lives, and people were giving their lives to the kingdom of God, and they were, they were moving their allegiance from the kingdom of Nero. And this is why Peter says at the beginning, he says, hey, if you suffer, consider yourself blessed. But he said, do not be threatened by their threats. Do not be fearful of their threats. And what we know, historically speaking, Nero was a nut job. Nero decided to burn down his entire city, the city of Rome, and then he blamed it on the Christians. That's a great plan, by the way. Destroy something and then blame it on somebody else. I like that. But what I realize also is that Nero was trying to, to suffocate the Christians' story so they would give up. Now, you may not be persecuted in your faith. You may be new to faith. You may not even be a, in faith yet, but some points you're going to get here. And, and I, I want you to know that you may not be persecuted. You may not suffer in your faith, at least in this point in time. But what I do know is that the reasons you believe you're not good enough to share what God's doing in your life are the reasons that suffocate the very story he's trying to tell through you. And so we have this tension in our lives between I'm excited, but I've got these reasons. Can, can I say it this way? Um, last week I was at a conference on water. Some people call it a cruise. I call it a conference. We had lots of meetings. But on the one day or the few days or maybe every day that we went to the pool, uh, can, can I just say it this way? This cruise was not like, um, it was not carnival. It wasn't like a, a spring break party. <laughs> it was more like we're kind of coast until retirement kind of cruise. You know what I mean? I'm trying to say this kindly. 
without getting in trouble. And so one day I went to the pool, and uh, there were these, I don't know, I'm guessing 80-year-old women in the pool. And I was looking out across the scene. I thought, everybody looks really bored here. And so I had this great idea that I'd do a cannonball. And so uh, I asked my good friend, Pastor Tim, I said, Tim, you think I could do a cannonball? He says, well, let me go check. So he goes up to these two ladies in the pool and he says, hi, ladies, would you excuse me for a minute? He said, my friends would like your permission to do a cannonball. <laughs> so goofy. And the lady said, the first lady was like, that's amazing. Go for it. And so I took off and I jumped in the air, right? And, and I didn't hear the rest of the conversation but when I was in midair, apparently, the other lady said, wait a minute. I have all the reasons why he shouldn't do a cannonball. And it was too late. And I'm going to tell you, all the desserts made me look like Shamu jumping in the little pool. And the waves went over these 80-year-old ladies, and the one was bad. She was angry, and the staff came out, and they told me, you can't do that. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but it was a lot of fun. And I think this is how we feel. We, on one side, we're saying, yes, I want to share what God's doing in my life. And the other side, we feel like the other lady, we're like, no, I got all these reasons why I can't. All these reasons why I don't feel good enough to share what God's doing in me. And, and so today, uh, I've always wanted to do this. And so today is the wonderful experiment on you. I want to talk about the five reasons why you don't feel good enough to share your faith story. Five reasons why you don't feel good enough. Number one, here we go. You don't, take notes on this, you don't want it to be awkward. <laughs> you have all met the crazy lunatic maniac behind the bullhorn that is yelling at everyone to repent of their sins before they go to hell. We've met that person. In fact, during Hall of Funawini here at Be Hope, we had a guy show up telling all the people waiting in line for candy that they were going to hell because they were getting candy during Halloween, which apparently is Satan's holiday. Don't worry, we kicked him out. We kicked him out. But it's awkward. It's really awkward when you do it that way. Uh, I lived in Topeka, Kansas. It is a, it's a wonderful city to raise a family. It's also the city where Westboro Baptist Church was. I live two blocks from Westboro Baptist Church. If you aren't familiar with these people, I'll show you in just a second. But these are the people that would protest soldiers' funerals. These were the people who let everybody know that they were going to hell except for them in the name of Jesus. And what I always found so interesting is that on Sundays, they would come and picket our church. Like, it's Sunday. You should probably be in church. <laughs> not picketing a church. And, and so what's funny is you would roll up to our church on Sunday there on Wanamaker. And, and what was so funny to me is you have people coming to church for the first time and then you have these proclaimed Christians on the other side letting you know how much they hate you. It was really awkward. In fact, uh, I want to share this sign with you just so you can get the sentiment of what's going on. One of my favorite signs, always wanted to get a picture next to this, just didn't do it. And, and by the way, if you have kids, just go ahead and close their eyes now. But to be fair... I had to explain this to my four and five-year-olds, so I don't feel too bad. But, but they would stand outside our church with this sign. I mean, this was every single day in Topeka. i got to explain this to my kids. All right, we can take it off. You get the point. Crazy. It's awkward. It's weird, especially when you're trying to give the message of Jesus. 
But, but here's the irony of this. Here's the contrast of this. I think about how awkward it is with them. But then I looked at my lead pastor, who was the pastor at that church at that time. And here's what I, nobody else saw. There was one day um, I went to pick him up for a conference that wasn't on water. And his name was Dr. Holmes. And uh, I remember sitting outside his house, and I was early. It was dark out, but his front door was open. And I remember watching as he was getting ready to leave, he embraced his wife, and man, he gave her a kiss like it was their first day of marriage. And I remember looking, and it spoke to my soul because nobody was watching. He didn't know anyone was watching. I was kind of being a creeper. <laughs> but I'm watching, and I'm like, oh, man, you're speaking to my soul. Like, this is good news to me. See, see. What I know is men, by the way, the way you love your wives is the greatest reflection of Christ's love to the world. And in that moment, as I watched him kiss his wife, I realized this is how much God loves me. And that is a good news story, ladies and gentlemen. But what's so funny is it's not awkward when I tell you that. Why isn't it awkward? Because it's authentic. It comes from his heart. It's who he is. There's a passion for his wife that you can't explain. And in the same way, church, I want you to know, when you begin to share your story, it's not awkward if it's authentic. This is, this is why Peter says at the very beginning, he says, when you begin to share your story, you got to be patient. you got to be gentle. you got to be kind. But he says this, and I think this is so fascinating. He says, do it with a clear conscience. You, you can't have a clear conscience and stand on a street sign and tell everybody that God hates them and yet he's supposed to love them. I could not do that. But what I do know is that for you and me, when we begin to share what God has done in our life from an authentic place, it's not awkward. It's transformational. It's transformational. Your story can change someone else's life. Number two, here we go. You don't feel like you are strong enough in your faith. I'm not strong enough in my faith. I think one of the greatest reasons why you may not feel strong enough in your faith, or maybe you don't even have faith yet, you're going to get there. I'm telling you, you'll get there. Is the comparison trap that we make when it comes to other people who have, are in faith as well. See, one of the biggest comparisons that I see is what I call our faith spans. And so I get people who come in and they make a decision for Jesus and they're like three minutes into that decision. They're like, my life is awesome. And then they see somebody who's been in church for 30 years and they're like, oh, I want to be like them. I'm like, yeah, but they've been doing this for a long time. You've been in this for three seconds, three weeks, three months. And you're like, yeah, but I want to be like them. I want to be a saint. But you feel defeated because your life doesn't necessarily look like theirs. Can I let you know this word saint has been misused in the church? See, saint in the early church meant anybody who had experienced the divine grace of God. Church, I got, I got to have you hear this, that it doesn't matter if you've been in here three seconds, three minutes, three months, 30 years, 300 years, that would be awesome. If you have experienced the divine grace of God in your life, you are considered a saint of his kingdom, church. That is the good news. And yet we compare ourselves to other people and we don't feel like God can use us because we're not as far as they are. Sometimes we compare our scriptural prowess to others. I don't know as much. I don't understand it when I read it. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't memorize it. How did they just pull stuff out of thin air? 
See, you look at other people who've been in the word almost their entire life and you expect to be like them and, and then you believe because you're not where they are, you can't be used. We, we do this when it comes to our issues. We have comparison issues. Oh, I, I love watching people come in to church and they're a mess and I love that. But you know what they do? Sometimes we look at other church people. Oh, by the way, it goes the other way too. I've seen unchurched people be judgmental about church people. And they say things, well, you're just perfect. You're like Nancy Two Good Shoe Shoes. You're just, your life's good to go. You've been following, your life isn't as messy as mine. And we begin to use our mess and the mistakes and the past and the hurt that we have in our lives. And we compare it to somebody else's and we say, well, this is why God can't use me. Okay, can I just say the greatest comparison that I think we make with other people's is our belief levels. You're going to think less of me in this moment, but a lot of times I feel like the father in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. See, there's a father who goes to Jesus and his son is demon-possessed, and he says, Jesus, will you heal my son? And Jesus says, hey, all you have to do is believe. Just believe, and he'll be healed. And I love what the man says. He says, yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. You been there? I believe in you, God, but I do have some questions. I believe in you, God, but I'm not sure that you're always there. I believe in you, God, but where are you? I believe, but help my, my unbelief. And a lot of times what happens for us is we don't feel like we are strong enough in our faith to share. But I love what Paul said, what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, listen, you are a saint. And he says, God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. And he said, God's power is made perfect, not in how strong you are, but God's grace and his power is made perfect in your weakness. See, it is in the weaknesses of your life that God wants to use you to tell his story and how great and mighty he is, not how great and mighty you are. See, you are strong enough, but it's in your weakness that God used you. Here we go, number three. Number three. We use our age as the ceiling to our impact. We use our age. You don't feel good enough because you aren't the right age. I meet really young people who will say, man, when I get to where they are in life, then God will use me. When I have kids, when I have a career, maybe even a car, whatever you want, then God will use me. I also see people on the other side of this. Uh, I have met people who most of their life is over and they say, yeah, I did all that stuff. And now I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and wait and watch everybody else do it. Can I be really kind? But say it in kind of an aggressive way. If you are breathing, you still have a reason. If you got up today and you were breathing into your lungs and you found your way to church and you walked in here and you had no problem standing up, even if you're in a wheelchair, even if you have a walker, even if you don't think you're smart enough or good enough, I want you to know that if you're breathing and you're moving, God has a reason for you and he wants to use you. And he wants to use you. Church, you don't understand the power, the power of your mindset. So you can't let your mindset limit your impact. Let me share this story. My grandfather gave his life to God early on when he was young. And guess what? After he gave his life to God, guess what they did? They put him on a church board. That's not a good decision, by the way, just so you know. 
not a good move. And then they put him in charge of like buildings and grounds. And he, and he told me this story about how one day he, he went out and he saw this tree that needed to come down. And he, and he went and told the pastor, he said, this, this needs to come down or somebody's going to get hurt. And the pastor just blew him off. You don't know what you're talking about. And a kid was tragically hurt by that tree. And I'll never forget my grandfather's words as I sat across from him and he told me this story. He said, I don't know if I can ever forgive that pastor for the hurt that has been caused. And do you know what? My grandfather did not step foot in church for the majority of his life. For the next 50, 60 years, he never stepped foot in a church because he was hurt. Maybe that's you. But here's what I also know. In his late 80s, going into his 90s, maybe he was 90, he had a friend who was the same age as him. And his friend realized that his life was not over, that he still had work to do. And you know what? He invited my grandfather to come back to church for the first time in 60 years. And I truly believe it's because somebody did not let their age define what God wanted to do through them that my grandfather then probably gave his life to God at the end of his life and is now resting in the presence of our maker. Is that not good? 91 years old saying, come back to church with me. Let's go. God's not done with you yet. See, I love what Proverbs 12, 8 says. It says, those with a prudent mind are praised, but those, oh, I love it. It says, those with a warped mind are despised. See, prudence is not about discernment. Prudence is not about decisions. It's about the ability to manage your mindset. Do not let your mindset limit your impact. Because God wants to use you wherever you are, at whatever age you're in. Uh, here we go, number four. Are we on number four? Who's taking notes? In the chat, let me know. I think we're on number four. Good, okay. Number four, here we go. I don't know enough. Anyone? Like, is that you? You feel like God can't use you because you don't know enough. So let me explain it this way. Uh, Janelle and I, when we were engaged, we were planning our, our honeymoon to Cozumel, Mexico. And back then, we didn't have phones with cameras. We didn't have phones. <laughs> Some of you don't remember that day. Okay. <laughs> now, I wanted to capture the experience. And so I decided I was going to go purchase a camera for our honeymoon. So I was staying at my uh, Janelle's uh, house, and uh, I told her, Dad, I want to go purchase a camera tomorrow. And he said, I would love to come with you. Now, I love my father-in-law. I really, really do. But little did I know that night he got on Consumer Reports, and he researched every single camera that was out on the market. He didn't tell me this. So the next morning we get up and I think we're going to the store for like a 30 minute shopping spree. And we get to the first store and we pull out the first camera and we get the second. He knows the, he knows the pixels. He knows the zoom. He knows the battery life. He knows how many stars it is. Like we're going through all these cameras. We got like 10 cameras out. And I was like, great, we should pick one. And he's like, no, we should go to another store. And so we went to another store and then another store. And then another store. We went to four stores that day, and I thought we'd be home by noon. We didn't get home till like 4 or 5 p.m. I know. Oh, no. It was, it was awful. 
And when I look at that moment, I think, oh, he wanted to know all there is to know about cameras before we made a business decision. Stop treating your story and your faith like a business decision. You don't need to know all there is to know about life and God and faith and the Bible before you can share your faith. Can I tell you, if you know all there is to know about God, if you know all there is to know about the Bible, if you know when the end is coming, if you know what the beginning was like, if you know every answer there is to every single prayer, guess what? You would be God. But you're not. And neither am I. And what I know is that when you begin to share your story, you're going to sit in front of people and you're going to have this insecurity. And you're like, what if they ask me a question? Well, what if they pull out a scripture and I, I don't understand it? I don't know how to explain it. What if I don't know the theology that's supposed to go, go behind that and, and the question that they're asking? Can I just tell you? The best thing you can say in that moment is, I don't know. And do you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk out because you're an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. They're not. They're not. I've said I don't know to people all the time. And do you know what they say? Man, let's figure it out. Let's do this together. See, see, you don't have to know everything there is to know about your faith. You just need to know your story. And you need to step into the discomfort because what I know is that in John 4, Jesus says, don't live on the bread alone. Do not just live on your own power and your own sustenance. But he says, live on every word of God. See, I truly believe that when you submit your life to the spirit of God, that he will give you every word and every thought and every phrase at every moment that you need it to answer every question to share the good news of God. Ready for number five? Bring it. I like that. We feel like we're not good enough because we allow our past to overshadow our experience in Christ. We allow our past to overshadow our experience in Christ. Sometimes I don't like what Jesus has to say. Is that too much for you? Sometimes I'm not sure that Jesus likes his own advice. Maybe that's too much. But, but here's, here's what I know. I often find Jesus, when he heals people in stories, this is what he will say to them. I don't like what he says to people. He will heal them, and people will look at them and say, can I follow you? Which seems like a pretty good response. Like, isn't that what you want? You want to go where you're going and do what you're going to do, Jesus? And Jesus looks at me and says, no. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell people in your hometown everything that God has done for you. To be clear, Jesus went to his hometown and he could not perform a miracle, not because of his own power, but because the people were unbelieving. Why? Because they said, dude's just a carpenter's son. That's just Joseph's. There's no way he could be the Messiah. Whether it's literally or metaphorically speaking, I believe that the hometown for us represents everything that we were then that overshadows who we are right now. You get that, like, for you when you think about home or when you think about your past, there's this realization that growing up, maybe you've hurt people, you've wronged people, you had addictions, you were struggling, you were figuring it out, people hurt you, you don't want to go back home. Like, it's a reminder of everything that you were in your past. And oftentimes what happens in our past is it makes us feel like we haven't experienced something in Christ. 
And we allow everything that was in the past to overshadow what God is doing in our lives. Church, can I, can I tell you right now, God wants to use you in a powerful way. And the reason he sends you back home is because when you show up and people say, yeah, I remember when you were, I remember when you did. The reason God wants you to go back home is so that when they see you and say, wow, there's something different about you. You are not who, na- you're not who you are then as you are what Christ has done in you now. And this is why Paul says to the Corinthians, this is so good. He says, stop regarding and do not let anybody regard you in a worldly point of view. Paul did not have social media back then. But Paul understands what we go through now. Think about this. In his day, people wanted to define you by your past. Today, people still want to define you by everything that you've done wrong. Everybody's just waiting for you to mess up. And Paul says, no, 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 you need to stop seeing yourself that way and don't let anyone else tell you different. Because there is a God who says, if you are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, and you have been given the message of reconciliation and salvation. Do not let your past overshadow what God is doing in you. Because you are an ambassador, an ambassador with the greatest message in the world to share with people around you, church. We have all these reasons, all these reasons. Can I let you know, the one who writes to us today, Peter, has got more reasons than you. Peter was a goober head. I don't know how else to say this, but when you look at the life of Peter, this guy who's supposed to follow Jesus, dude messed it up all the time. Like, I think the reason Jesus gave him the nickname The Rock was not because God was going to build his church on him, but sometimes he was just really dense. It was good, wasn't it? Like, I look at Peter's life. Think about it this way. Uh, he goes out, first thing in ministry, kids are coming to Jesus. And Jesus is like, come on, come on. Peter's like, no. It's like whack-a-mole with the kids. He's like, no, you're not coming to Jesus. You get away. He doesn't have time for you. You're not important. And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, cool it, man. Like, they can come to me. Like, they're important to me. Peter, um, I don't know if you've ever been called this, but he was called Satan by Jesus. I don't know about you. I've been called a lot of nicknames. I have never been called Satan. You? Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm the Messiah. And Peter goes, you can't be the Messiah if you die. You got to do it my way. Jesus looks at him and says, nope, you're Satan. Get behind me. That's Satan's way. That's not my way. I've never been called Satan, but he was. Jesus, in his final hours, oh, I love it, in his final hours, said, if you could just stay awake, just stay awake, that would be great. You know what Peter did? <laughs> Fell asleep. Dude was snoozing. All Jesus said was, just stay awake. He fell asleep. And guess what happened during that time? Jesus got arrested. And when Peter finally woke up and he saw Jesus in the hands of the guard, he runs up with a sword and he slices the dude's ear off. And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> It's not how we do it in the kingdom of God. That was a really good impression, wasn't it? He says, that's not how we do it. We don't use swords in the kingdom of God to cut off people's ears. 
Peter, come on. And then so Jesus is taken off and he's in the middle of a trial and Peter's sitting next to a campfire next to some teenage girl who was intimidating him. She's like, I think you hung out with him for three years. And he's like, no, I didn't. Not once, not twice, three times he said, no, I don't know that guy. Talk about learning from your mistakes. Peter was not this guy. And then to make matters worse, Jesus goes to the cross to save the world from their sins. And what does Peter do? He runs off. He runs off. Church, can I, I feel like God has given me this revelation in this message at this point. And I believe this is a revelation. I've never seen this before. That when Peter runs off, the reason he runs off is because he hears all the reasons why he's not worthy of God's grace. He's like, bro, I'm taken off. I'm not good enough for this God who has come to see, he hears all the reasons. But then what Peter does is after that, he begins to give a vision to people. And he says, yeah, that was me. But he says, here's what I know now. You always need to be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks. And then he follows it with this, so powerful. He says, give the reason for your hope. Church, this is your response. Forget the reasons why you think you're not good enough. Give the reason for your hope. Give the reason why you've just come out of because of God's power. Give the reason why you've overcome and conquered the addiction. It's because of God's power. Give the reason why you've endured the trauma. It's because of God's power. See, give the reason why you live with an unexplainable peace in your life. It's because of God's power. Give the reason why you're no longer angry and you live out of forgiveness towards people who hurt you. It's because of God's power. See, give the reason why you're an invested dad. Give the reason why you're an amazing mom. It's because of God's power at work in you. Give the reason in your education and where God is taking you in the future. It's because of God's power that is at work in you. Church, when your life has been changed... Give the reason for your hope because it's God's power at work in you. See, what I know is that you've been crushed, but you've not been destroyed. You've been overwhelmed, but you've not been overrun. You have been devastated, but your God has not abandoned you, which means you, church, have absolute hope in the resurrected Christ. This is why Scripture says, praise to our Father and God, who in his great mercy, in his great mercy, gave me a new birth into a living hope, into a living hope through his resurrected Son from the dead name. Jesus Christ, and he has given you an inheritance, an inheritance, an inheritance that will not spoil. It will not fade. It will not go away. Church, that's the story you tell because you have a reason to share. Okay, I'm done being excited. So this is where I need to land it. You got to give your reason. But what I know, church, is, is Peter also says at the very beginning of his vision statement that you have to be prepared for anyone who asks. What's Peter saying? If you know, you know. If you know the gravity of God's work in your life, you will grow others. I love what he says. 
to anyone who asks. I want to speak to the person right now in this moment. You're questioning God. I want to speak to the person right now in this moment. This is your first time here today. I want to speak to the person who said, I'm never coming back to church because I was hurt. I want to speak to the person who has written God off right now in this moment. You're here. And you're asking questions. You got questions. I want to apologize in this moment that with the big C church overall, we have not been prepared, prepared to give an answer for our hope in Jesus. And I want you to know that we will not let that continue to happen. Be hope we're gonna be a church that is always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks, anyone who asks. And to be prepared, church, you gotta have a strategy. Like, like think about this, we have a strategy for our finances, we have a strategy for parenting. We have a strategy for promotions. We have a strategy for the next car we want to buy, the house we want to get into, when it comes to our education and the future. Like we have all these strategies for our life. Why is it in the church and in our own lives that we don't have a strategy for our faith? Like, like at what point did flatlining in our faith become acceptable? Can, can I tell you, church, like, Sometimes you get this sense inside of you that says there's more to this than just sitting in church. You are right. Because when you begin to grow, when you are prepared, when you're ready to share an answer, man, God's going to use you in a powerful way. And so today I want you to, to put the reasons aside and I want to, to show you the best way that we can care for you with this church is to give you a strategy for your faith. You may not like the word strategy. Call it a growth track. Call it a spiritual plan, whatever you want to call it. People ask me, they say, why at Behope? What works? Why is it so great? And I just tell them, it's the simplicity of our systems. Like we don't do a million things. We don't do 500 things. We don't do 10 things. We focus on four things because we believe these four things will prepare people in a powerful way. And so today I want to give you behind the scenes, look, this is going to be so much fun, on what we think grows people and prepares people. And so as I begin to go through these, I want, you to, I want you to identify where you are in this. And I want you to just tell yourself, today I'm committing to, to the next step. And so we believe that the first step that you can take in faith is first-time guests. You're like, that's easy, I just show up. No, first-time guest, that is the biggest step of faith you could possibly take. Can I say, if you've been in church your entire life, go to a mosque. Go to a Buddhist temple. Let me know how, how, how much courage you would have to go there. Can I let you know that's how people feel coming here for the first time? Like it's, it's different. I'm going to a place and it's scary and it's called a church and I don't know what's going to happen to me. And, and so when you step into this place for your first time, I want you to know this is the biggest step of faith you can take. And so today, Be Hope, we want to celebrate everyone who has made their first step today, who has stepped into this place for the first time. It is a bold move, and we're celebrating you today. And if you're far from God, and if you're far from faith, I want to tell you today, the decision that you can make for Jesus in your life to change you is right around the corner. And I would love for you to do that today. But after you're a first-time guest, we, we don't waste time. So we always talk about this crazy thing called Hope Unleashed. And we believe in Hope Unleashed, this three-week class that happens the first three weeks of every month. Last night, I got it wrong. 
I'm the lead pastor. You think I would know how to do this stuff. In the first three weeks of every month, we do this class that helps people claim their identity. I'm convinced that most of us live in depression and fear with suicidal thoughts. I'm convinced that we have insecurity in our lives because for most of us, we haven't found our identity in Christ. And so for three weeks, we want to invest in you to help you find your identity in Christ because when you find your identity, you step into your calling. And then after that, we say, hey, at the end of Hope Unleashed, we'll say, you should serve. You should get on a hope team. At Be Hope, we have over 700 people that serve here. 700 people. Can we celebrate that? It's generous people every week who are willing to serve. But I love this idea of serving because it's an It's where you get to clarify your purpose. It's kind of like doctors when they call it a practice. It's where you get to practice. See, see, when you serve on a hope team, it's not just about serving people, but it's how you get connected to other people. If you're feeling like, whoa, this is too big for me, or I'm not feeling, get on a hope team. Share stories. Talk about what you're struggling with in your life. Hear other people's stories. Grow in relationship. But I love this idea of clarifying purpose because Sunday is also a way that trains us for Monday. I believe church is a training ground. I often wonder, um, I'm not picking on our greeters today because we have amazing greeters. But I wonder if when we serve on Sunday, if that's how we treat people on Monday. Like, are we as patient with people on Monday as we are on Sunday in church? Do we use the same language on Monday that we do on Sunday in church? Like, I'm gonna let you know, do we have the same patience? I do not have the same patience. I'll be patient with you in church, but Monday, when I'm driving here to work, you better get out of my way, because I will run you over. But this is where I get to practice. This is where you get to practice your faith and you get to clarify your purpose and what God is trying to do in you and who he wants you to point toward. Serving is the greatest discipleship you can And then lastly is this new thing that we're going to introduce. It's called Hope Discovered. And it's new and we're still figuring it out. But what I do know is this, is that Hope Discovered is where you meet one-on-one with somebody and they give you the tools to share your faith with somebody else. It's where you learn how to share your story. It's where you learn how to grow other people in their faith, not on Sundays, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday at work, at home, with your friends, with people who are asking you lots of questions. See, Hope Discovered is where you're prepared for any answer, every answer for anyone who asks. And so this is how we do it. Let's go back to the other slide real quick. And our whole goal out of all this is that you would be what we're gonna call a first church Champion Church, what we're doing right now is vision casting. I'm going to let you know this was a term we used two years ago to talk about people who were generous with their finances to help other people grow in their relationship with God. Can I tell you today, um, we're going to rebrand that language 
to say that we want everyone to be a First Church champion. Because when you come out of these four things, what I know is that you will be championing somebody else's faith and you will be leading them into the hope of Jesus, which by the way, is our mission here at Be Hope because we wanna transform the lives in our community by being someone's first church, not just their next church. And it's where you're gonna find your passion. It's where you're gonna find your passion. I like preaching. I love preaching, but my passion is when you watch someone new in faith give their life to Jesus, someone new in faith step into baptism, someone new in faith begin to serve other people, someone new in faith begin to share their story with everyone around them, and their lives are changed because somebody else invested in them, church. Could you imagine what this church would look like if 1,500 of us decided to go out every single day and invest in just one person? One person, imagine what our city would look like. So today I'm going to just, I'm going to make, make the ask in this moment that wherever you are, you would make that next move. That you would be prepared. The bravest thing you can do today is say, yes, I'll be prepared for everyone who asks. Everyone who asks. So you just go to behope.church forward slash discover. And I know you don't want to look like you're too like excited about that or you, you know, people are gonna be like, what am I doing? Just pull your phone out now, just do it, go do it. On your way home when you're driving, just pull it out, sign up. If you're in Ironton, somebody be in the back to meet you. On the way out, we have people who meet you at the tables. If you're interested in, in this whole journey, you can QR code it, whatever you want to do but make that decision. I will be prepared. Church, would you stand with me in this moment? God, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that we don't have to live in the reasons. We are grateful that, that we don't have to live in our past. We don't have to live in the excuses. But you, God, have given us a new story. You have given us a new hope. You have loved us in a way that we cannot fathom or understand. And yet it is in the beauty of that love that you are calling us to be brave, to move beyond our comfort zone, to move out of who we want to be and think we are, and to step into the purpose for which you're calling. And God, we're going to give you praise for the lives that are going to be changed in this next year. As we step into our identity, we clarify our purpose, and we restore our passion for this world around us. God, we pray that you would allow us to be prepared and use us for your good. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Amen. Amen.